Today is the 7th of January, 2024, which means that it's the first Lord's Day of a new year, uh, which means uh, that it's time for our motto text uh, for uh, 2024. A text not just for today, uh, but for us to take uh, with us individually and as a church uh, throughout uh, this a new year. I give to you Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2b, the second half of the second verse of the 66th chapter of Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah 66, verse 2b, but on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, And who trembles at my word. The Lord is speaking through his servant the prophet. And this is what he says. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor. And of a contrite spirit. And who trembles at my word. Our theme for a few minutes this morning. Is God. His people. And his word. God his people, and uh, his word. We want to think from our motto text about something about God, about something about God's people, and about something about God's word. So number one, something about God. Our motto text begins with the word But, which tells us that what comes after is related to what's gone before. And in verse 1 and the first half of verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 66, we have a grand statement of God's glory. Especially of how he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. There are really three parts to verse 1 and the first half of verse 2. Each is distinct, but all are related. There is a sense in which they are each making the same point, but from different angles. First half of verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. It's a striking picture the Lord paints for us here, isn't it? Heaven being his throne, earth being his footstool. This picture highlights for us what we might call the otherness of God. That God is altogether other than we are. We are on earth looking up towards heaven, looking up towards him. But he is in heaven looking down upon the earth looking down upon us. Second half of verse 1. The Lord asks us a couple of questions. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? Making the point to us that God is in no way dependent upon us for anything. And yet we are in every way dependent upon him 
for everything. And then first half of verse 2. For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, as says of the Lord. Impressing upon our minds and our hearts that the Lord is the creator and the sustainer of all things. Thinking individually, making it more personal. He is the creator and the sustainer of each and every one of us. He has given to us our life and he blesses us with all the good things that we have. Individually and together, he has made us and he provides for us. That's what comes before the but. But what comes after it? Well, our motto text begins, but on this one will I look. And these words are truly remarkable. But on this one will I look. This one who has no need of us, he looks upon us. And he does not only look upon us in judgment, but as we shall see as we go further into our text, he looks upon us in mercy. And that is truly remarkable. This God to whom we owe everything, yet against whom we've rebelled, looks in grace, in mercy, and in compassion upon a sinner like me, upon a sinner like you, upon sinful people like us. Something about God. He says, but on this one I will look. As you begin this new year, what a thought that this great and glorious God might be looking down in grace and in mercy upon you, upon us. Something about God. Number two, something about God's people. Our text begins, but on this one will I look. Which begs the question, doesn't it? On which one will God look? And we're not left guessing. He gives us the answer in our text. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. We'll unpack this a little. But these ideas of being poor and of a contrite spirit, they, they speak really of humility. Those who humble themselves are before the Lord. Those who exercise and who exhibit humility in their hearts and in their lives. Because this something about God's people, we can really divide it into two parts. Number one, it's impossible to become a Christian without being deeply humbled. And number two, it's impossible to grow as Christians without cultivating greater humility. 
Let's think about those two things in turn. First of all, it's impossible to become a Christian without being deeply humbled. Because it's impossible to become a Christian without coming to the point where you acknowledge that everything is other than you had previously imagined. God is other than you had previously imagined. You are other than you had previously imagined. Everything is other than you have previously imagined. And that is deeply humbling. The Lord speaks here of one who is poor and of a contrite spirit. The word here, poor, is not referencing a material poverty. It's not a reference to how much or how little you may have in your bank account. But rather, it's a reference to a spiritual poverty. Most versions do actually translate it humble. On him who is humble and uh, of a contrite spirit. This poverty, this humility spoken of in our text. It's that humility which is willing to acknowledge that God is God. That you are sinful. That you can't reconcile yourself to God. That you need a saviour. And that you must look to Jesus. And to Jesus only. His life, his death, his resurrection. All that he has done to save you from your sins. Poor, humble, acknowledging these things. And the verse says, of a contrite spirit. Really that's driving at not being rebellious, but rather submissive. Not fighting against God and his word and his gospel and his truth and his claims upon your heart and your life. But submitting yourself willingly, gladly to God. His word, his gospel, his truth, his claims upon your life. So if you're here this morning, my friend, and you're not yet a Christian, you need to understand that it's impossible to become a Christian without being deeply humbled. You need to come to the point where you can acknowledge that everything is other than you had imagined. And particularly where you are willing to recognize that God is God, you are sinful. You can't reconcile yourself to God. You need a savior and you must look to Jesus and make him all your hope, all your confidence and all your trust for now and forever. It's impossible to become a Christian without being deeply humbled. But this too, what happens when you become a Christian? Well, it is impossible to grow as Christians without cultivating greater humility. The longer we go on in the Christian life, the more we learn that the way down is the way up. We attain greatness in the Christian life, not by reaching upwards, but by reaching downwards, by being willing to humble ourselves, that God might take our nothing and make it something for him. So this humbling, this being poured and of a contrite spirit, it's not to be understood simply as a 
as a one-time humbling, something that happens at conversion when we trust Christ and become Christians. But rather it speaks of a, a continuing humbling. It speaks of something that is to be ongoing, that is to be transformational, and that is to be increasingly obvious to those around us. The more we know of God, the more we know of ourselves, the more we feel our need, and the more we marvel at God's grace, the more humble we should be. And I put it to you that this is really a test of a healthy Christian. Test we can use in examining others, but let's not be too quick to examine others. Let's each examine ourselves, first of all. A test of a healthy, healthy Christian. Are you more amazed you're a Christian now than you were when first saved? I guess there are often times when if we're honest as God's people, the answer to that question is no. When first we were saved, oh, we were bowled over by the grace and the mercy of God. We appreciated it as never before. But the danger is that we get used to it. The danger is that we consider it a small thing. The danger is that at least subconsciously, even if we might never put it into words, we, we think that we are somehow at least a little bit deserving. But we are to be those who are poor and of a contrite spirit. We are to be those who are humble before God, his grace and his mercy. We are to be those who should be more amazed now that we're Christians than we've ever been. Even than we were when we were first saved. So we put these things together. That it is impossible to become a Christian without being deeply humbled. And it's impossible to grow as Christians without cultivating greater humility. And we see something about God's people. That they are those who are humble in their approach and attitude to God. They are humble in their approach and attitude to other Christians. And they are humble in their approach and attitude to the lost. Remembering that we were once where they now are. And the same God who had compassion upon us has compassion upon them. Something about God. Something about God's people. Number three. As something about God's word. Because our text isn't finished. Uh, so uh, we're not finished. The text continues. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit. And who trembles at my word. Who trembles at my word. Now this clause is intimately connected to the previous one. In, in a very real sense it's part of the same thought. The same idea. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. But as well as teaching us something about God's people, God's people are those who, being poor and of a contrite spirit, tremble at his word. It also teaches us something I don't want to miss this morning about God's word. God's word 
is designed to make us tremble. Now perhaps we tend to think of trembling in our culture and in our society as a wholly negative thing. But in scripture we're we're not to think of trembling quite like that. There is a sense in which trembling is related to the fear of God. And trembling at God's word, like the fear of God, can be seen both in its positive and its negative ways. Think about the fear of God for a moment. We sometimes uh, think of the fear of God in terms of uh, that uh, fear of dread, that dreadful fear on the one hand, Or that fear of delight, that delightful fear on the other. There is that fear of God which is full of dread. When first perhaps we begin to realize just who God is and just what he's like and just how rebellious and and sinful we are and how uh, deserving of his wrath and judgment and And we're afraid of God. But when we come to experience his grace and his mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is still a fear of God but it's a different kind of fear. No longer is it full of dread but it's full of delight. We fear God in the sense that we love him and we want to honor him. And we want to do nothing uh, to displease him. And we delight in him. So the fear of God can be either of those things. And I say trembling at his word is related to the fear of God. So similarly with God's word. There are those occasions when we tremble at God's word in the sense to use the colloquial phrase that God's word, it puts the fear of God into us. It sends a shiver down our spine. It brings us out in goosebumps. It makes us afraid that we're sinful, we're guilty, we're lost, we're undone, we're helpless and hopeless, left to ourselves. But there's another kind of trembling at God's word. And that is when God's word causes us to delight in him. We tremble not with dread but with delight that that God would so love us. That he would so have compassion upon us. That he would send his son to die for us. That he would do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. That he would work in our hearts by his gracious Holy Spirit. That he would draw us to faith in his son. That he would be with us through all the ups and downs of life. And we tremble at God's word. Not because we're afraid but because we're amazed, amazed by the word of God and by the God of the word and by his grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And both are necessary. We need, just as we need to experience both kinds of the fear of God, the dread which gives way to the delight, so we need to experience both kinds of trembling. God's word to put the fear of God into us. 
but then to present us with the solution to our problems and to calm the waters of our troubled hearts and to lead us to faith in Christ and to bless us in life's many and varied experiences. So this trembling at God's word, it can mean different things, but it's teaching us this about God's word this morning. The one thing God's word shouldn't do, whether we're not yet Christians or whether we're already Christians, the one thing God's word should not do is leave us indifferent. Leave us untouched, unmoved, as if we couldn't care less what God has to say to us. And that should affect how God's word is read and how God's word is preached and how God's word is heard. How God's word is read. The public reading of scripture is tremendously important. And all those with responsibility for reading the scriptures in the public gathering of God's people should read conscious that this is the word of God and that we are to tremble at his word. Not just how God's word is read, but how God's word is preached. People are to tremble at God's word. Now that doesn't mean that as preachers we have to shout. Some of us hold up our hands and realize that we find it very difficult to get excited in the pulpit without the volume going up. But when Isaiah talks here about trembling at God's word, he's not just talking about pulpiteers who make the pulpit and the building and everyone in it shake. But preaching in such a way that we understand those of us with responsibility for preaching God's word, that we are not simply giving a talk, that we are not simply explaining a passage, that we are not simply imparting information, but that we are bringing a message from heaven, a message from God to the gathered congregation, a message which is the most important thing any of us could possibly hear in that moment and in that time. Trembling at God's word will affect how it's read and how it's preached, and not least how it's heard. This is how we're to come to God's word. Whether we're reading it for ourselves, whether we're listening to it being read by others, whether we're hearing it proclaimed, it's God's word. We're not to be indifferent to it. We're to take it seriously. We're to tremble. Where necessary, it needs to put the fear of God into us. We're not. It can do us good as nothing else. This trembling at God's word. It's speaking really of the word of God in the power of the spirit. And so a good prayer to pray at the beginning of this new year. For ourselves as individuals and for all of us together as a church. Would be Lord make me tremble. Lord make us tremble. Let us be those who tremble at your word. Let us not be those who are indifferent to your word. We read it because that's what Christians do. We listen to sermons because, well, that's what happens at church. No, God would speak to us. And he calls us to listen. 
And not to be indifferent to his word. But to tremble before his gracious throne. So we're seeing from our motto text this morning. Something about God. Something about God's people. Something about God's word. As we embark together upon this new year 2024. Let us grasp it with both hands as a year to take God more seriously. A year to take his people more seriously. A year to take his word more seriously. However long we may have been Christians, still we need to take God more seriously. To take his people more seriously. To take his word more seriously. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian. Oh, that you might tremble at God's word as you've never trembled at it before. Oh, that you might humble yourself before the Lord as you have never humbled yourself before him before. And oh, that you might come to marvel that this great and this glorious God is looking with grace, with mercy and with tender compassion upon you. And that you would run to his son. And that you would take hold of the saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. And give him your heart. And give him your life. What a thing if you were able to say. In future weeks and months and years. It was on the first Sunday. In 2024. When like never before. I trembled at God's word and I humbled myself and I realized that this great and this glorious God was looking down upon me. And I looked up towards him and I saw in him despite all my sin and all my unworthiness and the fact that he would be altogether just and righteous to be angry with me and to cast me off forever. I saw in his face only grace and I saw in his face only mercy and I gave him my heart and I gave him my life. And that day, he began to change me from the inside out. And his word assures me, but on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Amen.